Hi, this is John Ratzenberger. That's right, the same John Ratzenberger that played the part of the very handsome mailman on the TV show Cheers. Now, it's a little-known fact that, in my heart, I'm just a country boy. Welcome to the NutriBlends Animal Ag Podcast, where we tell the truth about American agriculture. On this podcast, false rumors are run out of town. Misleading marketing gets called out for what it is, and you better have good science to back up your claims or you're getting a boot. You hear me? I'm John Ratzenberger, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Cattlemen face many challenges during the growing and finishing production phases. Genetics, weather, nutrition, and management can be key for producers, but ultimately, maintaining optimum cattle health sets the stage for future success. Amy Gilmore is in her 27th year with Elanco Animal Health. She must have started when she was three. After completing her master's degree at Mississippi State, Amy started working with Elanco, spending most of her early career in the West working with cattle feed yards. The second half of her career has been spent working with stocker operators, beef veterinarians, and feed companies in the Southeast. Welcome aboard, Amy. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's nice to you make the trip. So, question. What cattle health trends are being reported by farmers and ranchers now? Well, I'll go first with what Elanco is able to uh, look at, and uh, that's through our benchmark database. We've got a, a database that collects uh, data on millions of head of feedlot cattle. So from a feed yard perspective, if we look at the last 10 years, uh, even though we've had improvements in genetics, uh, management, nutrition, uh, fed cattle deads have actually increased in both steers and heifers. So over, over the last 10 years, we've seen a half a percent increase in that death loss in feedlot cattle, even though we've had all these major improvements. For our stocker operators, I'd say that the same would hold true. Uh, stocker operators and backgrounders, we're going to see uh, an even higher death loss than we, what we would see in a feed yard just because of the risk of the animal that they're uh, handling versus a feed yard. What are the causes for these cattle mortality increases? Well, mortality is going to vary by age and risk level of the cattle when they arrive at the feed yard. Uh, so if you look at the benchmark customers again, what they typically classify as the cause of death is either going to be linked to respiratory, digestive, uh, acute interstitial pneumonia, they call that AIPs, or other uh, diseases or injuries. Uh, but when you look at all of those different causes, respiratory disease is the main cause of death in, a feedlot, in feedlot cattle. For stalker operators and backgrounders, uh, respiratory disease is by far the most common cause of those deaths. Well, what's this cost in the industry in terms of uh, performance and economics? Well, again, looking at feed yard cattle first, 75% uh, of all feedlot pulls are going to be because of BRD or bovine respiratory disease. 50 to 70% of those feedlot deaths are, are due to BRD. So again, it's the predominant cause of deaths in the feed yard. Uh, but even though death losses are a primary concern, there's also an economic loss related to those sick cattle, even if we can keep them alive. Uh, because you're looking at uh, the treatment cost of getting those animals uh, well again, also the additional labor cost for pulling and treating that animal. And then also the uh, performance loss 
that we see for those cattle that continue to live but have been sick. So if you look at all of these BRD-related factors, they can contribute to a reduction in average daily gain by as much as anywhere from three-tenths to a half of a pound per head per day. Oh, that's a problem. Well, what about the uh, subclinical cases of BRD? I think this is kind of interesting. We did a study within Alanco a few years ago to where we looked at lung lesions at harvest. So uh, of these cattle, we already knew the history of them, and 65% of those cattle, by the time they reached harvest, had never been treated for BRD. So for the uh, cattlemen, they appeared healthy that entire time. But of that 65% that had never received a treatment, 68% of these untreated calves had lung lesions at slaughter. So basically what that means is that these animals were never diagnosed with BRD, but they did have some degree of respiratory disease within their lungs. So if you looked at, when when they were able to uh, look at that information, they were able to determine that those lung lesions at harvest cost us, from an average daily gain perspective, 17 hundredths of a pound per head per day. Investment respiratory or other disease diagnosis sounds critical to minimize morbidity, uh, mortality, and performance losses. What does this mean in terms of labor costs? Well, when you think about the agricultural industry in, in general, one of the things that I'd say most people would tell you that is a big, one of their biggest costs is labor. So when you uh, think about the labor cost uh, in a feed yard or in a stock or a backgrounder situation, uh, that labor cost is, is increasingly important. We had a recent study where we looked at feed yards and found that pen rider labor costs have risen 44% in the last six years. From a stocker perspective, we see an increase in age of that average producer, and also the labor pool from which they can draw from is shrinking and also becoming more and more expensive. So anything we can do to reduce their need for labor is a a very good thing. You mentioned cattle risk assessment or or level on arrival. What does this mean? What's meant by all this? Well, so every group of cattle that comes into a feed yard or into a background in yard or a stocker operation is going to have some inherent risk of respiratory disease. Uh, it's going to be based on the source of those cattle, their origin, uh, previous nutrition or any kind of health programs that they've had, uh, weaning status, uh, whether they were commingled with other animals, the weather, uh, distance that they had to travel. Uh, whether I like it or not, southeastern calves are for the most part, considered high risk because of a lot of those things. Um, most of them are sold in a cell barn, and they're going to be commingled with a bunch of other animals, and so that's going to automatically make them high-risk cattle. Stress levels go right up. Yes, yeah. they do. They do. So from a um, from the standpoint of looking at what your cattle's risk assessment is, it's important to work with your veterinarian and design a plan for incoming cattle based on that uh, stress level and disease prevalence. So typically we see cattle rated just very simply as high, medium, or low risk. So um, if you can work with your veterinarian, they can help you design treatment protocols based off that risk level. Uh, And these protocols can include vaccines and antibiotics. One of the things that we see a lot of customers do is uh, treat cattle metaphylactically. That basically means that when the cattle come in as a group, everything's going to get a a shot on arrival, uh, especially if these cattle are considered high or or medium risk. Uh, For a lower risk animal, uh, a pull and treat therapy is probably more common. So in other words, uh, they're going to come in, they may tempt get their take their temperature and say yes this animal's sick and they may treat those but for a higher risk group of animals metaphylaxis has become a very common thing uh, but regardless of whether we're talking medium or low risk in particular those animals may be suitable for an in-feed alternative and one example of this is an in-feed antibiotic called Pumatil. Pumatil. Mm-hmm. what's that 
Well, pulmatil is tilmicosin. That's the active ingredient. Tilmicosin is the same active ingredient we see in an injectable antibiotic called micotil. Uh, so, but pulmatil is actually a feed-grade antibiotic used for the control of BRD in groups of, of cattle, both beef or non-lactating dairy. Uh, and one of the things that they look for is they want to see active BRD being diagnosed in at least 10% of the animals in that group. When you look at the approval for pulmatil, it's approved for the control of BRT associated with Mannheimia hemolytica, Pastorella multocida, and Histophilus sumni. Uh, the goal is to reduce that risk of a BRD outbreak once the cattle are on feed. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, one of the things that um, is included in, in this is reducing the impact of that subclinical BRD and the associated losses that come with that. Uh, Pulmatil is to be fed for 14 days, uh, so you get a sustained in-feed therapy for those 14 days in groups of cattle showing early signs of BRD. Uh, when labor is an issue, feeding Pulmatil means f fewer pulls and less individual animal management because you're feeding the entire group of cattle. Hmm. Well, uh, how, how should I use Pulmatil? Well, real similar to injectable antibiotics that require a, vet, a prescription from a veterinarian, uh, Pulmatil requires what they call a VFD or a veterinary feed directive. Uh, this is a, a, basically a script from a veterinarian for a feed additive. And so this VFD process requires a coordinated effort between the veterinarian, your nutritionist, and your uh, feed supplier. So the veterinarian can prescribe Pulmatil when there's a valid vet-client-patient relationship already there. Oh, what's the approved or, I guess, recommended dose? What's the approved or recommended dose level for Pulmatil in cattle? So Pulmatil is to be fed for 14 days, anywhere from 568 to 757 grams per ton on a 100% dry matter basis. Uh, it's to be the sole ration to be given to those cattle, meaning that Pulmatil needs to be in there regardless of whether you feed once a day or twice a day. Uh, and the goal is to provide 12.5 milligrams per kilogram of tilmicosin per uh, head per day. And um, the approved dose range uh, was based on animal eating basically one and a half to two percent of their body weight. What improvements can I expect with feeding a pulmatil? Well, uh, we did four registration studies to get this approved with the FDA, and what we saw in those studies was that pulmatil reduced your pull rates by 36 percent and reduced that cumulative morbidity through day 28. Um, Pulmatil is also uh, made to, to treat groups of cattle that are exhibiting both clinical and subclinical signs of BRD. Uh, the other good part of Pulmatil and the question I get asked a lot is, does it negatively impact my feed intake? And it doesn't. Uh, in our stalker operators, my producers have seen improvements in their pools, their deads, and an added, added benefit is that they have an improved health once those animals enter the feed yard. How does the 14-day feeding regime compare for duration efficacy to other injectable antibiotic protocols? This is a question I get a lot from my producers. Um, a lot of the injectable products, they can be uh, pre found present in effective tissues within 12 to 24 hours after injection. Uh, and typically, uh, they will be sustained for anywhere from 3 to 10 days at what they call minimum inhibitory concentration. In other words, that level that needs to be there for the animal to have enough drug to kill mm -hmm. off the bacteria. Um, so, but this duration is going to vary by product. So in our, in one of our studies, Pulmatil was fed, fed at label dose. And what we saw was that within 24 hours of feeding it, 
uh, we saw Pomatil there, but in reality, we needed to have three days of continuous feeding before we had reached that MIC or minimum inhibitory concentration level. Um, so again, because uh, Pomatil fed for 14 days, uh, we, we saw it for that entire 14-day period, but then what they also saw was that uh, tilmicosin, the active ingredient, is going to remain detectable in the lung tissue eight days after the treatment is, is over, so essentially 22 days. So because Pulmatil is going to reduce pulls by delivering a 14-day sustained therapy, providing a longer moratorium than most in injectable antibiotics. Uh, as compared to other injectable antibiotics, uh, this protocol is also going to reduce labor that's associated with handling those individual animals and also the stress associated with that animal handling. How can you diagnose 10% of the cattle in a group with BRD before Pulmatil treatment can begin? Well, that's something you need to work with your veterinarian on, and they'll help you develop a Pulmatil protocol. Uh, there's a lot of factors that they can use to help determine when that 10% level is reached. Uh, a number of these can be the combination of uh, deads, pulls, uh, the temperature of those cattle, uh, depression scores, or also maybe the history of that cattle source. So what are some of the supplement options to deliver to Pulmatil to eligible cattle? Well, that's one of those things that you would need to work with your nutritionist or feed supplier to determine which type of Pulmatil would be best. Uh, there's a type A and a type B Pulmatil. So Pulmatil type A is a medicated feed additive that contains 20% tilmicosin, uh, and it's a Pulmatil 90.7, which means it's got 90.7 grams per pound. Uh, but this is also a Category 1 feed which means that uh, if you're feeding it through a microingredient machine or you're trying to blend this down into a type B supplement, it is going to require that you have a medicated female license. Most of my producers use a type B supplement, um, and Elanco offers two of these type B supplements. One's an 18.1 gram per pound, and the other is a 5.68 gram per pound. And as of now, Pulmatil is not approved for any use of liquid supplements. Is there a preferred supplement for cattle? Yes, Pulmatil 568 works really well, and it was designed specifically for cattle. Uh, this is a, uh, an alfalfa-based pellet. And it was created with the intent of having a palatable, durable, and easy-to-mix supplement for cattle. So the beauty of the 568 is if you add 100 pounds of this Pulmatil 568 per ton of dry feed, you're going to achieve that dose of 568 grams per ton. Uh, on a per head basis, uh, it's easy to figure because if you can use one-tenth of a pound per 100 pounds of body weight, if you've got a 500-pound calf, that means that that calf needs a half a pound of the Pulmatil 568 supplement per head per day. Will I be able to feed Pulmatil with other medicated feed ingredients such as rumensin? Well, Pulmatil is approved to be fed alone, and again, to reach that target of 568 to 757 grams per ton, or it can be used in combination with rumensin. So if a, produ if a cattleman works with their nutritionist, they can come up with the specific feeding directions for both Pulmatil and rumensin. Hmm. Cattle mortality continues to be a challenge facing cattle producers. Respiratory disease is the most common cause of morbidity and mortality. Prevention, control, and therapy options should be matched to the risk level of the cattle. 
In my opinion, Pomatil is one of the uh, the best kept secrets in the cattle industry, uh, specifically because of the uh, value enhancing benefits it provides for producers who have either limited labor or where equipment for processing cattle may not be easily accessible. Uh, with an in-feed therapy, less cattle handling is required, and you're going to see reduced stress compared to other treatment options where more individual animal management is required. I want to thank Amy Gilmore from Melanco Animal Health and encourage our listeners to tune in next week to see what's on tap in the animal agriculture.